Hi, my name is Paul Grogan and welcome to episode 63 of the all new Gaming Rules podcast. This episode is an audio version of the live Q&A that went out in February 2024. A big thank you to all of my Patreon supporters for making this episode possible. And if you want to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. And now on with the show. Right, and we are live, I think, I hope. Yes, I think we're live. Uh, let me know if you can hear me and see me okay. Welcome to the live Q&A for February 2024. Hence the uh, hence the background, because it's Valentine's Day in the UK. And what better to do on Valentine's Day than do a live Q&A? So, um, yeah, as always, I'm going to be going through all of the questions that I've been asked in advance over on the BGG Guild. And if you're not a member of the BGG Guild, get on over there because there is occasionally some good discussions on there. Uh, and I occasionally post some stuff on there, which is open to all. The BGG Guild is open to everybody. You don't have to be a patron supporter to be a member of it. So if you're watching this video and you're not one of my patron supporters, then yeah, there is a guild over on Board Game Geek, guild number 2258. And each month I post a thread on there, normally a few days before, for people to ask questions in advance. Mainly if you can't make it to these live Q&As, but you did want to ask me a question, that's the best place to do it. And then after we've done that, we're going to be answering all of the questions that are coming in at the moment. So if you have any questions for me that you want me to answer during this live Q&A, please put them in the chat. Start with the word question in capitals. Vicky will pick them up and she will transfer them over to the main document. Um, now, the first thing is, and I've just noticed a question from Tony Boydell. So, Tony, you need to put the word question before the question. Otherwise, Vicky will miss it. Um, but if you can grab Tony's question that he's just put in there. But yeah, any future questions, start with the word question, otherwise it will get missed. So I have to say that I'm very, very disappointed because for the last few months, a question has been asked about Raspberry Jaffa Cakes and whether we've tried them or not. And for the last few months, every single time the question gets asked, I say, I'm sorry, I haven't tried them yet. I have now tried them and the question was not asked this month. So we've even got a packet here, Raspberry Jaffa Cakes. There's not many left, um, but I have now tried them and they are very nice. Vicky had one earlier on today and said that she actually prefers the orange ones to these. I'm actually not sure. These are really nice. So hmm, I'm not sure because they, they're raspberry, but they've actually got a little bit of a cherry flavor. I'm getting a cherry flavour from them. Anyway, my taste buds are obviously shot to pieces. Um, so off we go. Let's dive in. Um, we're going to be given the um, winner of last month's Q&A. And there is going to be a contest in this Q&A as well. So watch this space for details of that. Right. First question. What do you think of Raspberry Jaffa Cakes? No, that's last month's. <laughs> uh, from Adrian. Adrian wants to know. Faction asymmetry in Euro games... Yes or no? Now, faction asymmetry is something which has been made very popular in such games as Root. And even last year, we had one of the biggest games of last year, which is uh, Hegemony or Hegemony, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, and that was, I think you would class that as a Euro game. I'm pretty sure I would class it as a very thematic Euro game. Um, there are benefits and there are disadvantages to um, faction asymmetry. I don't mind it. I'm I'm more than happy to play Euro games that don't have it, but the ones that do have it, 
let's put it this way the the more asymmetry that you have in a game the more the harder it is to teach the longer it is to teach and also unless every player actually knows how every other faction works can you rely on the person playing that particular faction to make sure that they've played it correctly what what happens if you say right we're going to play this asymmetric game four different factions everybody go away and learn your own faction and then you sit down and you play the game and one of the play and and each player has only read their own and not read any others um then the other player might might have read the rules wrong so there is always an extra overhead and there's an extra fragility if that's the right word to use with games like this that they they require everybody to make sure that the rules are understood so yeah um and there's a balance thing as well you know balancing asymmetric factions is always quite hard so yes I, I'm, I'm happy with it i'm glad that there are games there that have it for me i with the exception of hegemony from last year uh i've never played root for example uh, and there are various other. Give, give me, let me know which other games are very, um, very asymmetric in in terms of how they play, because Root is the is the one that that comes to mind straight away. And I know I've not played that, but I'm sure there are lots of other ones. Now, there's also asymmetry if we take, for example, Lost Ruins of Arnak, the leaders, or if we take June Imperium, the fact that your player has a special power. I'm all right for that. So. For, for me, individual player powers, big thumbs up. I really like individual player powers. I wouldn't, they are asymmetric technically, but I wouldn't call them asymmetric as in you're all actually playing a completely different game. Um, so yeah, and that, that's another topic of discussion for another time is where do you draw the line on what's asymmetric? You know, is June Imperium an asymmetric game because each player has their own unique player power? For me, no. That's not really an asymmetric game. It's just individual player powers. Anyway, we've, we've talked about enough for that. Thank you for the question. Next question from Mike. Mike says, if you were to retire, which I've, I've done twice in my life so far. Yeah. Um, how many hours a week would you play board games just to enjoy them as a hobby? So let me answer that question by first of all, not answering that question. The reality is I can't see myself ever retiring now if and when i actually do i will very likely still do the channel i will still likely um stream board games because i've been doing it for long enough now i enjoy doing it i've got an audience people enjoy watching it so even if i stop doing all of the paid work and all of the other stuff that i do in the background i will probably still live stream but let's say, for example, I stop doing that. Let's say I, I, I stop doing all of my work and I stop live streaming. How many hours a week would I play board games just to enjoy as a hobby? Probably a lot. Um, it would all depend on Vicky, you know, because if she's retiring at the same time, then I'm not going to spend, you know, eight hours a day playing board games because we'll be doing things together. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I would probably spend most of my time because it is my passion. It is it is my hobby. It is the thing that I enjoy doing more than anything else. I will probably have occasional breaks to do computer games or something like that. But yeah, the, it, it is my passion. It is my hobby. I enjoy doing it. And one thing that actually frustrates me, and I'm, 
I'm still I've been struggling with this for the last few years is all of these great games are coming out that I want to play more of and we're not just talking campaign games here we're talking games like you know too many bones or cloud spire or things like that I, I want to play those games 50 times and I just don't have time to play them so yeah I would probably spend a lot of time I don't exactly know how many hours next question from Gavin uh bees in space which is a reference to one of Stonemaier Games' recent releases. What other strange combination of themes would you like to see? Ooh, um, I've had a little bit of a think about this this afternoon, but again, I'm, I'm not very good at coming up with anything. Strange combinations of things. It is, a, it is a question which I do get asked a lot about what theme hasn't been done before that you'd want to see in a game, or which themes would you like to see more of in games? Um, and I, I never really have an answer to that question because it's not really something that I think about. I'm just happy that other people think about that. And then I just come along and I just play the games or test the games or, or anything like that. Um, so, yeah, I don't have any particular strange combination or, or strange themes that I would like to see. Um, one thing that I'm enjoying a lot of is sort of realistic games um, where... The game is very thematic and the game actually represents what you would be doing in real life. So, you know, I love my cube pushing Euros where you're just doing mechanical stuff and trying to get points. I love them. But I also like games where you get to, for example, and I'll talk about this later on, you get to be a farmer and you get to, you know, get animals and you get to grow crops and things like that. Um, you know, that sort of stuff, as long as it's a, a good simulation of what you're doing. Next question from Mark. Mark says he's just got Weather Machine for his birthday. Happy birthday, uh, Mark. Uh, it's a hoot to play. He says, it was my understanding that this was the last one that you worked on as a rules editor. What led you to that decision and do you miss it? Um, I could record an entire video about my full reasons why I have retired from rulebook editing, um, which I'm not going to today. I will just, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you know a couple of bits, but this isn't the full story. Um, there's, there's a number of reasons why, and some of them are to do with my, uh, personal anxiety and stress levels and, and things like that. Um, but one of them was that I did want to focus on the channel. I was finding that there were more games coming out that I wanted to do videos for, whether they be playthrough videos, they would be how to play videos, um, and things like that. And when I get involved in doing rulebook work, it's extremely time consuming and it's basically taking me away from producing content for the channel. So it was a difficult decision to make because I'd gained a, a, quite a good reputation for being a, a, a good rulebook writer, but it was something that I decided to do and I, 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 I don't regret it. I think it was definitely the right decision to do. Uh, do I miss it? I do miss it a little bit um, because part of me is thinking, well, if you're good at something and you know you're good at something, and everybody else knows you're good at something. Why have you given it up? But as I say, there are there are other reasons why why I did that. Um, yeah, you can't always have everything that you want, but that's that's how it is. But yeah, there are parts of it that I do miss. But one of the services that I actually offer to publishers is that I do rulebook consultancy. So whereas I might not actually do the writing and the editing and the proofreading. I will take your game, I will take your rulebook for your game, I will sit there, I will try to play that game from the rulebook that you've given me, and then I will give you the feedback that you need 
in order for you to make that better. Now, on some of these occasions, and I, I did one at the start of this month, I'm doing one next week, not next week, the week after, uh, and then I'm doing one next month. I'm probably doing on average about one a month. Um, and sometimes my 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 response to the publisher is, you need to go back to the drawing board with this rule book. You need to hire an editor uh, and it needs to be completely and utterly rewritten. Now, I don't just say that. I, I give them a lot more information as well. Other times, and that was the case earlier on this month when I did rulebook consultancy for an upcoming game called Galactic Cruise, was this rulebook is probably one of the best rulebooks that I've ever read, but you've paid me to do consultancy on it, so here's 20 things that I think you should change with it. But the rulebook for Galactic Cruise, as it was when it got given to me, was one of the best rulebooks that, that I've ever read. I did have some comments on it. Uh, some of those were major comments, just restructuring the rulebook a little bit and moving things around. But overall, it was a very good rulebook. Um, so yeah, some rulebook consultancy can be enjoyable <laughs> and sometimes it can be very frustrating. Anyway, next question from Amina. This is a really good question. This is, is it worth buying draft and write records if you already own and enjoy That's Pretty Clever and Twice as Clever? which is the Ganshon Clever dice game. Now, bearing in mind that I am personal friends with Connor from Inside Up Games, and also bearing in mind that I did a sponsored video on Draft and Write Records, and they are one of my regular clients. In fact, right now, right here, you can't see it, is Terminus. I am currently filming the how to play video for Terminus. So Inside Up Games, who published Draft and Write Records, they are one of my clients. The question is, is it worth buying it if you already own Ganshon Clever and Twice as Clever and other ones in that series. I can't tell you whether you should buy a game or not because that's all down to the cost of the game and whether you want to afford it. For me, I think that I would probably prefer to play um, Draft and Write Records over Ganshon Clever. Now, the reason for that is they share a lot of similar mechanisms, but Ganshon Clever is purely an abstract game. There is no theme applied to it whatsoever. There is a little bit of theme in Draft and Write Records. Uh, so you actually feel rather than just, you know, crossing off spaces and trying to complete a row to get points, you're kind of putting the band together and you're going on tour. Now, it is it is fairly abstracted because a lot of it is the same. You are trying to get symbols in a column. Uh, but if the fact that that, sim that that section of the game is called harmonizing, it kind of fits a little bit thematically. But yeah, I, I I like a little bit of a setting in my game, even if it is quite light. But yeah. Next question from Peter. Another really good question that I don't think I'm going to be able to answer. And I should. What is your favourite way to play Mage Knight? Competitive, cooperative or solo? So Mage Knight has been for many, many, many years my number one favourite game of all time. As of the time of me recording this video right now, I don't know if it is still my number one favourite game of all time. Because Voidfall is extremely good. And Voidfall might actually knock Mage Knight off from my number one favourite game of all time. I don't know. I've not played Mage Knight in so long. Maybe when I go back to Mage Knight, I'll be like, oh no, th no, this is it. This is this is this is my game. Um but as for which way to play it, I'm not sure. I mean I always liked the two-player competitive side because the two, competitive mage knight you're not really interacting you're just playing your own sort of game 
and it's whoever's got the most fame at the end. There isn't really that much interaction between the players unless you turn on PvP, which I, I never do. Um, whereas the cooperative version is actually harder work because you really have to work together. You have to plan, you know, being trying to take the cities on together at the same time and things like that. So probably two-player competitive mode would be my favourite way to play. Uh, the solo mode is pretty good as well, but I am generally in preference of multiplayer games rather than solo games because I like enjoying playing that game with some with somebody else. Uh, and what is my favourite Mage Knight scenario? Um, again, I don't know whether I've played... I've played, I don't think I've played all of them enough, but I do like the full conquest because there's something pure about this is the way that the actual original game was. But the variations on that, so the um, Druids, Druids something or other, I can't remember now, Druid Knights, is it? Um, and Dungeon Lords and things like that, they're quite nice as well. I do have a little bit of a soft spot for the scenario which I designed myself, which is the Lost Relic. I think it's called the Lost, Re Lost Relic, which is like plays in like an hour to an hour and a half so i quite like that but i also do like the epic long games uh next question from chris this is a good question so this is a question about a publisher called ion games uh, and chris says that they rarely get coverage from content creators uh, and he says why is that um and he says samu ramat which beyond solitaire have covered is an amazing game he thinks i would love it okay um he says he knows that in the past their rule books have been a problem and that is one reason why I would have likely switched off from that publisher if they are constantly putting out bad rule books. But Chris says they are far better now, in his opinion. OK, they're beautifully produced and it seems that only heavy cardboard will do any playthroughs. Is there any reason for this? So uh, I, I think I think there is now without going too much into personal details because um, I don't want to upset anybody here and I don't want anything I say to get back to certain people who might decide to then start personally attacking me on Twitter, which has happened. Um, hypothetically speaking, let's say Vicky worked in the board game industry, right? She's waving. Uh, and let's say that Vicky worked in the marketing team for a publisher, for a board game publisher. Hypothetically speaking, do you think that that board game publisher is more likely or less likely to sponsor playthrough videos from me. Well, it's obvious, you know, we're all humans and we like to, you know, keep our relationships going. So, yeah, I, I think that the chances are if Vicky worked in the marketing team for a publisher, then I am more likely to get paid work from that publisher. That's just the reality of the situation and that's how it goes. Um, now let's say for example that there is another content creator and let let's let's say for example luke hector right let's let's just pick on luke because i'm friends with luke and we know luke and luke's been to my house a number of times so let's just say for example luke hector who doesn't do sponsored videos but let's let's say for example that he does and let's say for example luke if you're watching this look vicky really doesn't like luke right <laughs> she's laughing um so you have a situation here where somebody is working in the marketing team for a publisher who doesn't like a content creator. Is that content creator going to get anything from this publisher? No, they're not whatsoever. Now, it doesn't matter if that content creator would love the type of games that that publisher makes. It doesn't matter if they would 
produce content for that game, which would actually benefit the game and actually help market the game, that doesn't matter. Personal relationships affect everything we do in life. And it is totally understandable that uh, people are not able to put personal problems aside in order to do something else. So hypothetically speaking, but hopefully that's that's answered that question. Right, next question from Avron. Uh, when, brackets, if you get to spend a day gaming without needing to be available to do a teach or run events such as GridCon, then how long a session time do you prefer? And how much has that changed over the last 20 years, if at all? So this is actually not a situation that happens very often, but it did earlier on this year, earlier on this month, in fact. So at the start of this month, in fact, just two weeks ago, uh, I attended a local event called Full Board Gaming, which I talked about in my most recent video log, and it wasn't it wasn't working. Um, now he has said without needing to be available to teach or do management things. Mm, see, it's it's so common that I'm teaching games. So at Full Board Gaming, I played six, seven games maybe eight games and all but two of them i taught so the only games i didn't teach is we we played a scenario of lord of the rings journeys in middle earth that we kind of all know how to play so there was no i wasn't really teaching um and voidfall and i made sure that all of the players in voidfall actually knew how to play then again uh one of them wasn't 100 with the rules so i did have to help a bit a bit um but most of the time i'm teaching and because i love teaching games it's fine that's not answering your question. If I don't need to teach and if I don't need to do management things, how long a session time do you prefer? Um, it really depends. It really depends on the game. Um, for example, Voidfall, as I've mentioned, that was a 45 minute setup and a four hour game. In that case, that five hour slot was absolutely perfect. But if I played a shorter game, then yeah, I mean, yeah, it depends on the game. But in terms of a session time, if you're talking about multiple games, then pretty much all day. I'm, I'm more than happy to play one game in the morning, break for lunch, a game in the afternoon, or maybe two games in the afternoon, break for lunch, break for dinner, uh, and then a game in the evening as well. So for me, I'm happy with like a 12 hour, 12, 14 hour session time, you know, from nine in the morning till maybe 11 at night with a couple of breaks for food in between. Uh, how much has this changed over the past 20 years, if at all? It has changed over the past 20 years. Because 20 years ago, I would have liked nothing better than getting seven friends over and spending 15 hours playing Advanced Civilization. I never want to do that again because I don't have 15 hours of spare time to just play one game that has massive amounts of downtime. I could play in that 15 hours three games of Voidfall or three games of Mage Knight or Mage Knight, Voidfall, and Through the Ages, right? And I would I would much prefer to do that now than I did then. So, yes, it's changed in the last 20 years because I now there are games coming out now that offer more bang for the book, but also I'm not able to stay up till 4 o'clock in the morning. I mean, you know, going back 20 years, I would have a games weekend. People would come over on the Friday, and I wouldn't sleep on the Friday night. We'd literally play games all Friday, all Friday night, all day Saturday, and then Saturday night I'd get some sleep. 
I can't do that anymore. And that's just that's just down to a, a, an age and energy thing. But good question. Right, next question from Alex. Have I watched Tom Vassell's plea to publishers regarding rule books? I would recommend everybody go and watch this video. Well, you don't have to watch it, but I, I found it quite enjoyable. So um, if you want to know where the link to this is, you can probably just Google it. Uh, Tom is part of the Dice Tower, as you probably know. And recently he's done a video which is a plea to publishers about rule books. Now, I've not watched the whole video. I did skim through it and I kind of really wish that, um, well, no. Basically, I agreed with pretty much everything that Tom said. Um, the bits of the video that I watched, Tom is absolutely spot on. And I, I, I hope that publishers listen to him. Now, I've been saying all of the same stuff that Tom says for the last 10 years, but, you know, I'm, I'm very small and, and Tom's got a massive influence. So the fact that I've been saying those things for 10 years, apart from the rule books that I'm involved in, which hopefully I, I've helped make better, Tom, I think, has a lot more influence. And I really do hope that some publishers listen to what Tom says, because he did have some very good points. He talked about something which I call front loading of information. I can't remember exactly what he called it in the video, but he banged on about the fact that he hates it when a rule book says, right, here's, here's what this component is, and here's what this component is, and here's the card anatomy, and here's this, and then you find, uh, here's a key concept, and here's another key concept. Oh, and by the way, this rule's gonna be important later on as well. Right, page nine, here's how you set up the game. No, right, that's called front-loading of information. It's one of the most evil things, and publishers are still doing it now. Stop it, please stop it. We do not want front-loading of information. Anyway, I did, I did watch it, as I say, I watched bits of it, and Tom had some extremely good points on it um yeah next question from sub-zero joe can you tell us more about your munchkin love story so this was something that cropped up when did this crop up in conversation was it on slack or was it the last q a there was something that happened recently and i said ask me about it in the next live q a um because this is this is something that and I've told this story more, more than once. So if you already know this story, go and make a cup of tea. Um, but you will know that I like my Euro style games. And games like Munchkin, which um, are published by Steve Jackson Games, are at the very, very bottom of the list that are games that I would enjoy playing. I personally believe that the game is an extremely badly designed game. Um, I don't think it plays very well. And I think it's just the kind of game that would, could have been designed in a few hours. Now, you know, to their credit, they have milked it and they've made a million expansions, but I, I don't think it's a very good game. But anyway, let's just let's just go back in time 25 years. I was actually doing demo work for Steve Jackson Games back in the late 90s. Um, at the time, they had some games that I did enjoy like Ogre and GV, um, and I certainly wasn't in the board game industry like I am now. So at the time, this was an opportunity for me to go to some conventions and demo some games that I enjoyed playing. But Steve Jackson Games then had a lot of other games in their catalogue, which were games that I really did not enjoy. But at the time, that's what I was doing. And in, in yeah, in fact, it wasn't quite the late 90s, but it was the early 90s. I did it for about two or three years. So 
In April 2003, so this is 21 years ago, almost 21 years ago now, I was doing demo work for Steve Jackson Games, and there was a UK convention called GenCon. So you, the UK had its own version of GenCon, and it was at the uh, Olympia in London, and I was there as part of the Steve Jackson Games demo team. And I was demoing games like Munchkin and things like that to people. And you look at me now and you think, oh my God, that must have been awful. And to be honest, the game, yes, absolutely awful. But because I like demoing games to people, you know, there was a part that I enjoyed. Anyway, turns out that Vicky's sister was really into Magic the Gathering. In fact, all of you, Vicky and her two sisters, all played Magic the Gathering. But it was Rebecca, her older sister, uh, who really, really got into it. And basically they went to UK Gen, Gen Con because there were some of the artists there that they wanted to go and meet and, and everything else. And that's where we met. So the ironic story for, for me, who, you know, absolutely can't stand Munchkin, actually met Vicky while demoing Munchkin at a convention. Um, so, yeah. And that's why the copy of Munchkin is in the attic and will never be thrown away, even though I will never play it again. There are certain games that I have in my collection which will never get played again, but they have certain sentimental value, which means that they stay in the in the attic and, and don't get thrown away. Anyway, that is the that is the, the story. I mean it's not all of the story, there is more to the story, but that's that's the summary of the story. All right, next question from Chris Dearlove. He says the White Castle recently became a strong contender for the title of best board game when measured as game value per cubic centimeter of box. So the White Castle is published by Devere Games and it is in a nice small box and it only just fits in the box. You have to really package it correctly. Uh, and it's the same with the Red Cathedral, which is their uh, one of their previous offerings. Devere do these games which are in a smallish box and there's a lot of game in that box. The White Castle, if published by another publisher, would have been in a big box game with 50% of air. So all credit to Devere. Thank you very much for putting your games in right size boxes. And Chris is saying that it's got the it, it, it's a strong contender for the winner of the best board game when you consider... Uh, game value per cubic centimetre of box. What else would you consider as good or better than these in that way? Now, this is a question which we're going to move over to the Guild. So I mentioned the Guild earlier on, on Board Game Geek. This is not a question which I can answer myself because I would have to go through my entire collection and have a look. But there is going to be a question thread. Uh, and in fact, if Chrissy is watching... We'll, we'll create the thread later on, but head on over to Board Game Geek, guild number 2258. While you're there, make sure you join, make sure you subscribe. And there is going to be a thread on there for your opinions on what is the best the best game when you compare, yeah, game value per cubic centimetre of box. Uh, and Chris has said it's got to be the actual board game. So games that just have cards, dice or a score sheet not included don't count. Right. Okay. I will be interested to see what people think about that. I'm looking around and I'm thinking, Gloomhaven's a massive box. So does that rule it out? Because the amount of game and the amount of replay, uh, the amount of plays that you will get out of Gloomhaven 
Yeah, possibly. I'm not sure. Anyway, next question from Bart. What is the one thing that bothers uh, about board games that bothers you more than it should? Oh, there's lots. I could do a top 10 video of, of things that bother me more than they should. Bart says one of his things is big square rule books. Now, let me tell you about this. Big square rule books get a huge amount of negative press. And I didn't see the problem with them until recently. In the last six months, I have also been going off the big square rule books because you get them out and you open them up and they're just they're just a bit unwieldy and you just can't seem to get them down or open them up. They're just they're just too big. So I'm not as completely against those rule books as some other people. Um, some people really, really hate them, but I am definitely veering away from them. But because of um, all of my, you know, issues with OCD and everything else, all, all of that that I've got, there are things that bother me way more than they should. So one of them, um, we played Mythwind for the first time over at the weekend. And in Mythwind, you get to construct these buildings. And these buildings all have a cost. And that cost is made up of a certain number of the four different types of resources. And the four resources are, let's see if I can remember, culture, food. No, can't remember. Anyway, there's four different resources. Each one's got a colour and each one's got an icon. So there's a red one, there's an orange one, there's a purple one and there's a blue one. And on the cards, on the building cards, that cost is always in the order red, orange, no, orange, blue, purple, red. But on the board, where you track those resources, it's red, orange, blue, purple. Now, to some people, that doesn't bother them whatsoever. But bearing in mind, I am the kind of person that walks into somebody's house and if the painting is not straight on the wall, I will straighten it because that's the kind of person I am. Anything like that bothers me more than it should. And it bothers me for two reasons. First of all, I want things right. I want So if, if you're going to give me something on a card, which is, you know, wood, stone, clay and bamboo, then and it's always in that order, then, and, and this is going back to my role as a game developer and as a rulebook writer, games have to be accessible, they have to be approachable, and you don't want to have players to have to do mental gymnastics with their brain in order to be able to enjoy playing the game. So if you've got a card that says, it's three stone, two wood, and one bamboo, and it's always in that order. And then on the game board where you track those resources, it's in the different order. It's gonna be confusing for people because they see that left to right, three of them, one of them, two of them. Look on here. Oh, three of them, that's over here, two of them, yeah. So things like that do bother me uh, more than they should. And and there's, there's a lot of them. The other reason it bothers me is something like that should have been picked up in a playtest because we spotted it literally within 10 minutes of playing the game. It, it jumped out to us straight away. And, uh, you know, with the amount of time and effort that goes into developing games, something like that, I think, should have been spotted. And hopefully they're going to fix that for the next printing. I think they will, because it's not just me that's got a problem with it. Um, but yeah, that's, an, that's another interesting question. For, for anybody watching in the chat, maybe we'll put this on the guild as well. What is the one thing that bothers you about board games more than it should? Right, next question is from Jenny. Jenny says, do I have any secret unpublished knowledge about world order? 
Now, World Order is the new game that's coming out from the same people who brought us hegemony. Um, if you tell us, we promise we won't tell anybody else. So what I did 10 minutes before this Q&A started, because I'm all about the planning, uh, I sent them a message and I said, I've been asked a question. Uh, unfortunately, he's out of the office, so he can't send me anything. Right. He was actually going to send me a sneak peek of the graphics that hasn't been shared before. So to their credit, that's what they were going to do. And I really wish I'd have asked them this morning because they would have done that. So it's it's Valentine's Day. So they're out and about. They've got they've got Valentine's duties to perform. Um, but they have told me that for my next live Q&A, I can share something. In fact, I tell you what, I'll do it in the next monthly vlog. So they're going to send me something. They're going to send me a sneak peek image of World Order. And I will put it into the next monthly vlog, which I will be filming in a couple of weeks time. So at the end of this month, I will do my monthly vlog. And yeah, we can do we can do it there. So thank you very much for asking. And I have a good relationship with these designers, which is why they've said, yes, we'll share some secret information. Right. Uh, next question from Graham Charlton. Have you planned every game you're going to play at Bacon yet? No, but thank you for the reminder. And since I saw your question come in, Graham, I have now created a games planner for Bacon. And I have one game planned, and that is Voidfall. I will be planning other games, but Bacon isn't until... When is it? It's the start of April. So probably sometime around the middle of March, I will start really thinking about what games I really want to play at Bacon. Uh, I already know some of them. I want to play Voidfall, definitely. Um, I want to play Plantanubo, because I've only played it once, and I was going to play it at Full Board Gaming. Uh, and I didn't, because I played Galactic Cruise instead. Um, yeah, so there, there, there's going to be a few. Um, next question from Kenneth. What are your thoughts on Mythwind based on what you've experienced so far? Is it a GM-less RPG or is it more of a sandbox game with goals akin to Stardew Valley, the computer game? So I have played probably about two and a half hours of Mythwind. Um, I played about one hour where we were just learning the game and we played two days. That was on Friday night. And then I uh, convinced Vicky to play with us on Sunday. So me and Vicky played for about an hour and a half on Sunday. And we basically played the first season. So we played nine days of spring, which is the first season. And I do have thoughts on the game. Now, bearing in mind, I am due to do some sponsored coverage for this game. So sometime just before the launch of the new Kickstarter, I am going to be producing some uh, sponsored playthroughs of the game or a sponsored playthrough of the game. Um, but I do have my own thoughts on it. To answer your questions, it is not a GMless RPG, right? It, it's not an RPG in any shape or form at all, but it is a sandbox game more like Stardew Valley. So with Mythwind, you have four different roles or five if you've got the expansion and each role is completely asymmetric. But touching on what we said earlier on, it isn't faction powers that are interacting with each other, each player is literally playing their own game that has nothing to do with anybody else. Now, there is a there is a there is a a town part where you are each doing something in the town, but once you've all done that, everybody resolves their own character stuff, and every character just does it plays their own game and resolves their own game. I'm only one month into it, sorry, one season into it. Um, want to play more, want to see more of what the game has to offer. But it definitely feels like 
something very different, something that isn't done in board game being before, in that it's fairly slow going, it's relaxed, it's gentle, there's no monsters appearing, there's no Cthulhu trying to chase you, there's no victory points or anything like that. It's just a nice laid back cooperative game where you're just, you know, doing stuff. And that would appeal to a lot of people. I, I can see a number of people absolutely hating it, but I quite like the idea of it. And um, yeah, I've been thinking about it a lot over the past week. Next question from Brian. According to the GameFound page, you have agreed to help us with editing the rulebook for Steam Power. And Brian says, if I recall correctly, and I talked about this earlier on, I have retired from rulebook writing. Um, so therefore, why have I decided to become the rulebook editor for Steam Power? Brian says, are you doing this because the anticipated effort is low or because the number of dump trucks of cash are high enough or some combination? So I did I did think about it. Um, but the reason why I've agreed to do it is I, I have a good relationship with Martin Wallace and I have a good relationship with the people um, at Martin Wallace Designs who are publishing the game. And I'm already involved in the game in that I've already done a tutorial and playthrough for the game. The game is relatively simple and the rulebook is actually not that long, but the rulebook definitely needed a lot of work. Um, there were definitely parts of the rulebook which I felt were badly structured, badly written and everything else. And I thought to myself, again, going back to what we talked about earlier on, I do miss it a little bit. And I saw an opportunity with this to just dip in a little bit more and kind of go, I tell you what, yeah, let, let's just do this one. So I didn't do it for boatloads of cash or anything like that. I did it just because I want to support um, support the game, support Martin Wallace. And yeah, I did think it was going to be relatively easy to do. I'm not saying, oh, I, I did it only because it was easy. Although, to be honest, that is one of the factors. I knew it wasn't actually going to take me, you know, three months of work to do. It was only going to probably be a day to a day and a half or something like that. And I saw... I think I saw an opportunity for me to improve something. And I that that's me. I, I can't resist the urge to, to, to do that. Right. We're going to have a small break now because it is uh, quarter to six. And we're going to just talk about the contest. So uh, every month as part of these live Q&As, I do a contest. And to enter the contest, there is a link in the description of this video. There is also a link that is going to be added to the chat. And if you are listening to this as a podcast, you're going to have to go over to YouTube and get the link to the contest. Um, but all you need to do is you need to fill in, in the form. You need to put your email. You need to put your name, your email address. The answer to the secret word, which we said was going to be something related to Valentine's Day. So what's the last Valentine's Day gift that you received? There you go. That'll do. It doesn't really matter. Whatever you put in that column doesn't really matter. I read through them and I have a good chuckle to myself, but it, it doesn't matter. Whatever you put in the what is the secret word, it doesn't actually matter. Um, and if you are one of my patron supporters, then you actually get double entries. So if you are one of my patron supporters, please say yes. Don't say yes if you're not a patron supporter. I will find out. Um, and I will be doing the draw on the day of the next live Q&A. So you've actually got about a month to enter this contest. Um, and the winner of the last contest did I mention that at the start? I don't know if I did. I didn't. It's Johnny Juju. So congratulations, Johnny. I sent you three emails this morning because my email system was playing up. So I wrote him an email saying, congratulations, you've won the contest from last month. Clicked send. Nothing happened. So I clicked send again. Nothing happened. I clicked send again. It went. 
I then checked my sent items to make sure it went and there it was three emails so uh yeah apologies for that he thought it was a phishing scam because it was like this person keeps telling me that i've won a contest three times um <laughs> but yes congratulations johnny uh, on that you won 50 pounds worth of games vouchers from games law um and that's what you win so if you if you enter the contest and you get picked out of the hat it's 50 pounds worth of games vouchers from games law 25 pounds of that comes from me and 25 pounds of that comes from games law so these videos like my monthly video logs these are not sponsored in any way all of the advertising revenue from this goes to charity. So I'm not making any money out of this whatsoever. Um, and yeah, the, the contest is for is for £50. Right. How are we doing? Are we way behind schedule? The link is in the show notes of the podcast. Ah, right. Okay. So if you are listening to this as a podcast, then in the show notes of that podcast, the link is in there as well. Fantastic. Right. Nick says it's Valentine's Day today. So he hopes he doesn't mind a Valentine's related question. I've not read this. These came in after I last looked at the questions, so I'm going to be answering these pretty much fresh. Nick says, for his entire time at school and beyond, the 14th of February was excruciating. He never got a card, didn't get even get a secret card from his mum who felt sorry for him. Oh yeah, that's what happens, you get secret cards. I'd forgotten that. Uh, he said it was a day to lie low or just hide away. However, many years later, he met his future wife on Valentine's Day in a pub. Uh, he was due to attend a funeral that day and was unfortunately far, far more presentable than usual. <laughs> Sorry, was fortunately far, far more presentable than, than usual. Uh, therefore, the day now has a very different meaning. That's a, that's a, that's a really good story. Um, if I can remember my best and worst Valentine's memories. You're talking a long time ago now. I, I'm, I'm With my memory, I'm sure we've done... So, so I remember... Uh, you came to see me in Hertfordshire and we went to a Italian and that that was nice I think we just got together maybe something like that so yeah when me and Vicky first got together I was living in Hertfordshire she was living in Somerset uh, she would come to see me every couple of weeks and we we went to a, a, a restaurant in Welling Garden City now did they provide the balloons or did I provide the balloons yeah, I think they did. So we went to this restaurant for Valentine's night and I remember where it was. It was sort of south of the town centre near the gym, I think. Um, and they had these Valentine's balloons and we brought one home and kept it for like a year, two or five years or something. We might still have it. It might still be in a box somewhere. Uh, and I think the next year, I think I, I blew it up. And I think for, for the few Valentine's days after that, we would blow up this balloon and, 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 and put it up somewhere. So... That's probably the only Valentine's night that I remember. Um, I can't remember my worst ones, but I'm sure there were some, you know, in the past. Anyway, uh, the last question that came in on the Guild was from Mario. He said, last month I spoke about my method where I explain and run demos at conventions and how it doesn't work to give a full explanation before it starts. Yes. My question is, how would you do it for a game like Evacuation or Shipyard where there are so many things intertwined together. So Mario was one of the demoers for Delicious Games at Essen, specifically for evacuation. And he said he couldn't find a better way to explain things besides going through all of the phases of a round. And even though you agree it wasn't the greatest thing for somebody learning the game, um, yeah, and only the scoring was something easy. So the way that I would do it um, is that I would script the first few turns. That is, the, that is the best way of doing it. Because otherwise, with a game like Evacuation, 
You literally have to do a full teach at the start. And for me, I don't want that at a convention. The idea of getting a demo of a game at a convention is to get an idea of how that game plays. And with a game like Evacuation, I think the only proper real way to do it would be to script the first couple of turns. Now, a lot of people hate scripting, but it works. And basically, you can get playing within five minutes um, and you just script the first couple of turns. That's it. And then after that, you let them play. And here's, here's the thing. If you're watching this video or if you're listening to this now and you're cringing and you're thinking, oh, I don't want to be scripted. I don't want to be told what to do. Right. Just put that to one side for a minute. Here are your two options. Option one, you get a full 30 minute teach where you are sat, sat there on a Saturday afternoon at a busy convention, having been absolutely exhausted from two days of nonstop gaming. And you get a full 30 minute teach where nobody even touches a piece on the board. And all you're doing is listening to somebody talking at you for 30 minutes. Now, I, I can't take that. Some people can. That's fine. But after 30 minutes, you then start playing. And you've got to remember every single thing that you've been taught in the last 30 minutes. And you've now got to go, uh, what am I going to do? Right. Or alternatively, we start playing within a few minutes. I, I spend a few minutes. I explain the overview of the game. I explain what everybody's trying to do, give you a high level overview. I then talk briefly just about how the game plays just for just for less than five minutes. Then I say, right. So rather than now spending the next 25 minutes explaining every single action, we're going to start playing player one. I'm going to get you to do this. And I will have already worked out exactly what cards to play and what. So I'm going to get you to do this. Play a card there. Right. I'm now going to get you to do this action. Here's how this action works. You do that. You do that. You move this piece to here and you've done that. Great. So what that's done is you've actually explained the action, but you've explained it by actually doing it and seeing people doing it. Right. Then you go to player two and you say player two, I want you to do this. And you put a card there and you do that and you do that and you do that and you do that. And basically all you need to do is you need to just script the first couple of turns until you have explained each of the actions once. And then after that, you explain a few more bits and then you leave them on the road. That whole process takes 30 minutes. So basically option one, sit and listen to somebody talking at you for 30 minutes and then they might walk off and you've got to sit there and remember everything they've said. Or option two, actually play through a couple of turns, which also takes 30 minutes. But by that point, you've actually learned how to play by actually doing it. So that that's how I do it. Almost every single game can be adapted to this demo method. It just takes time and effort and it needs somebody to sit down and go, right, we need to script the first couple of turns. Board and Dice did it extremely well. The demos of Nucleum that they were running at the Board and Dice booth were absolutely spot on. Um, and that's the best way of doing it. Right. So that's it. That 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 is the end of um, the questions that we were asked in advance. Now let's head on over to the live questions. So first question from Elaine. Have we named the new rodents yet? No, we haven't. So we, we picked up three new mice on Saturday, Sunday, Sunday morning. Uh, we went to a, a, a mouse breeder in a local town and we picked up three new mice, um, which Vicky has put some pictures of on Slack. I think if she hasn't, I'll get her to do that later on today, but we haven't named them yet. They're all very cute and they sleep 90% of the time. 
Um, but yeah, we uh, did you have you put the pictures of the mice on Slack? Yeah, right. So if you're on Slack on the random channel, there are some pictures of the mice on there, but we haven't named them yet. But they're all very cute. Next question from James. When did you start following Formula One and who was stroke is your Formula One hero? So I started watching Formula One halfway through the 1998 season, I think. Because um, I lived with when I first left home, I moved into a house in Coventry. It was a shared house and somebody who I shared the house with watched Formula One and was a Formula One fan and they kind of got me into it. So I started watching it in about 1998. It was at the time where McLaren were winning and it was um, uh, it was David Coulthard and Mika Hakkinen. Uh, so they were the first people that I watched and they were they were doing well and I quite liked them at the time. I don't know whether I have a single Formula One hero because people don't stay in Formula One forever. We have drivers that we like. We have drivers that we follow. Um, there are certain ones that I definitely like more than others for various reasons. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a long time now. What's that? 20, 25 years? Wow. And it's the only sport that I follow. I mean, I watch Wimbledon when it's on uh, and I'll occasionally listen to the Ashes when it's on and things like that. But other than that, yeah, not, I don't follow football or anything like that. Uh, so, Mr. Tony Boydell says, what's the most innovative game that you've encountered in the last 12 months? Easiest question of the, uh, easiest question of the show, Tony. Thank you very much for that. Um, it's got to be hegemony. Hegemony for me, um, definitely stood out from the crowd as being the most innovative for me anyway. Um, and whilst a lot of people might think, well, there was nothing actually innovative about the, the, the mechanisms of the game. For me, the way that they put this four-player asymmetric game about the theme, the theme of the game being the socio-economic political game, which I have zero interest in whatsoever. But this is a kind of simulation game about countries and the way that they work and the economy and the public health services and things like that. And I found that fascinating. I found that it's not something that had really been done before and it, it was done very well. So, yeah, I, I would say for me, hegemony, to pronounce it properly, or hegemony as most people pronounce it. Um, but Tony, what about you? Let me know what, if you're still in the chat, let me know what your most innovative game was in the last 12 months. Uh, next question from Wizardo. Um, what are your top games that you have only played once? Oh, that's a really good question. Right, let's head on over to Board Game Geek. Talk amongst yourselves. I'm getting really hungry, actually. So Board Game Geek, logged plays, how can I do this? How can I do this? I can say by game. Right. I have organized my entire playlist on Board Game Geek by the number of times that I have played the game. And I am scrolling down and I am scrolling down because there's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot here. I'm now on page seven and we're on we're on twos. Here we go. Ones. Right. There's a lot. Um, so no, 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 no. Okay. That one, maybe. Okay. So speaking of Tony Boydell, <laughs> oddly enough, Alubari, a nice cup of tea. I did enjoy that. I played that and I've only played it once. Um, no, no, definitely not. Definitely not. No, no, no. 
Argent, the Consortium is really good, and I've only played that once. Um, Architects of the West Kingdom, I enjoyed. No, 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 definitely not. Absolutely nowhere near. No, gosh, there's lots here that I've only played once. Um, no, 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 that's awful. That was awful. That I hated. I mean, Cantaloupe doesn't count because I've only played it once, but you can only play it once. So, yeah, that doesn't really count. Definitely not that. Definitely not that. According to this, I've only played Carcassonne once. That's a lie. Definitely played that more than once. Uh, God, there's a lot of bad games here. This is really interesting, this, because I'm going through this list and most of these I would never play again. Ah, there's one here. City Builder, The Ancient World. It's over there. It's from Inside Up Games. I've played it once. I really enjoyed it. I haven't played it again since. So what have we got? Alubari, Nice Cup of Tea. Um, we've got City Builder, Ancient World. And what was the other one that I mentioned? There's another one I mentioned. Oh, Argent the Consortium. Architects of the West Kingdom. Um... Oh, God, yeah, that was awful. That was awful. That was also awful. There's so many bad games here. <laughs> I'm now on the next page. Definitely played that more than once. Definitely played that more than once. Yeah, no, there's too many here. I'm only in the Fs. So, yeah, there's a lot. Anyway, there, there's some of them. Um, if I get a chance, I'll go through some of the other ones later on. But... Um, yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a few games that I have only played once which are actually really good games. But looking through that list, I was surprised, actually, that 75% of those games that I've only played once, I think are bad games. Like games that I would rate 4 or 5 out of 10. So, right, back to the questions. From Monica, what's the craziest game-related request you have ever gotten? Craziest game-related request. Well, there is one that I'm now allowed to talk about, which was probably the most unusual. So, as we've talked about earlier on, um, I, I do rulebook consultancy, and I do a little bit of editing here and there, and Space Cowboys contacted me about a year ago, and they said, Paul, we'd like you to do rulebook consultancy for a game. It's top secret. You're not allowed to talk about it. You're not allowed to tell anybody about this game. And we want you to do rulebook consultancy on the English rulebook to make sure that the English rulebook is absolutely perfect. But the game is never coming out in English. But it's coming out in Korea. But the Koreans don't speak French. So literally, I had to work on an English rulebook to get the English rulebook perfect for it to then go to Korea for them to translate it into Korean to print the game. And I've been keeping this secret for a very, very long time. And that game has now come out. It is a Pokemon version of Splendor, which is only available in Korea. Uh, there is no English language version of the game. I have the prototype in the attic, um, but the game is now out. And what's strange is that it's still got my name at the back of the rulebook. So the whole rulebook is in Korean. And then right at the back of the rulebook, it's got rulebook consultancy, Paul Grogan. So that was a very strange request. Um, and as I say, I'm now allowed to talk about it because the game, the game is actually out. Um, yeah, you can look it up on Board Game Geek. And what what's I've written to the publisher to say, look, are we going to make these English rules available? 
because I'm not allowed to share it. I don't actually have the file anymore, but people are having to use Google Translate to learn how to play the game. And I wrote the, I wrote the English rule book. Well, I didn't write it, I edited it. Um, next question from Hendrix. Replaying a few favorite games many times versus continually learning new and interesting games. Both. A absolutely both. Um, I love learning new, interesting games all the time because there's always something new. There's always something exciting. But one thing that I have found frustrating is that I don't get the time to play games as much as they deserve. Um, and and that is that is a problem. And that is just down to time. You've got to manage that. And I guess even though this is my job and I probably play more games than the average person, I think everybody's in the same situation. You know, you want to you want to get these new games, you want to get these new exciting games, but then you've got, oh, well, wait a minute. You've got this game that is either a campaign or even if it's not a campaign, you know, like, you know, some of these games deserve 10, 15, 20 plays uh, and I'm only getting to play them twice. And then I'm and then I'm moving on to other things. Even some of my favorite games. You know, Bitoku might be in my top 10 games of all time. If it's not in my top 10, it's in my top 20. I love the game. Played it, what, six times? That's it. <laughs> you think, well, that's not enough. But six times is a lot for a game. My average number of plays of a game is probably two or three. Three at the most, probably. Um, next question from Matt. What do I think about the trend towards more and more deluxe editions? Is it making board games inaccessible or is it attracting people with better looking products? Oh, Matt, I, I mean, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on this and I could record an entire video about it, but I won't because it will upset some of my clients. Despite the fact that I work in the hobby and despite the fact that I have clients who pay me money and I can't do what I do without their paid stuff, um, I have my own thoughts. I am a gamer. And I am still a real person and I still have my own thoughts on this. And one thing that I have spoken about on a number of occasions is that I don't like the trend towards over deluxified games. We just want games, right? Now, if a game is, you know, an absolute amazing game that's an evergreen title, such as Mage Knight or Through the Ages or, or, you know, something like that. Something which has stood the test of time, is still being played 10 years on, is still selling 10 years on, then sure, let's do a deluxe collector's edition. Like Catan, when Catan had a 3D version, right, which was stupidly, crazily expensive or something like that. Uh, or the War of the Ring deluxe edition, right? But at the moment, there seems to be this trend that a game that hasn't come out yet has got a deluxe version. And what it ends up meaning is that you're paying more for the same game. Now, it does look pretty. It does have nicer components. And we all like nice looking components. That's that's all great. Um, but the problem is we're paying twice the price for the same game. And I, I, I don't like the trend to it. And I'm saying that absolutely honestly knowing full well that I have been, I am being paid by publishers to produce videos on games which have deluxe versions. And I'm sitting there doing these videos with these nice deluxe components and saying, here's how the game plays, etc., etc. But that, as a game, that's, I may have upset somebody by saying this and I may lose work from saying this, but 
that's that's how it is we don't need these deluxe games that's my thoughts right uh question for mark what is the most interesting in a good way rule that you've encountered in a game in the last year or of all time if you can remember now what i will tell you is the first thing that comes to mind is a rule which i have seen in the upcoming game galactic cruise which again full disclosure i'm going to be doing a sponsored playthrough video on galactic cruise but there is a rule in galactic cruise that as soon as i saw that rule i said out loud this is a brilliant rule every game should have this rule so in galactic cruise there is a there is a small part of the game where you have these cards they are called don't know let's call them agenda cards i might be getting the name wrong because the game that i'm filming today has agenda cards anyway you have these cards if anybody's in the chat they'll remind they'll they'll tell me what the name of the cards are anyway you you play these cards from your hand they go in a discard pile okay like normal you play a card from your hand and it goes on a central discard pile and there is an offer of these cards so whenever you perform the action that allows you to take cards one of the options is that you can take the top card of the discard pile by paying an extra cost just amazing now it might not work in every single game but in this game it's just really good so basically yeah a mechanism that allows players to pick up the top card from the discard pile i loved it i thought that was just brilliant um and i, and I really like that so yeah that is probably one of the most interesting ways in a good way of a rule that I've encountered in a game in the last year. I mean, in the last month, because I can't I can't remember anything beyond that. Uh, next question from Jackie. You recently started playing Wingspan online. Uh, well, yes, I did recently start playing Wingspan online in that I think I've played two games of it on Board Game Arena. Uh, and I've not played it since. And I think I've, I think I've played one game with the app. I can't quite remember now. Um, am I am I interested in playing Wormspan at all? I, yes, no, don't know. I mean, I, I was so late to the party with Wingspan. Um, I'm glad that I have now played Wingspan and it was actually better than I expected because of all of the criticisms that it got. And I was expecting to go into it with very, very low expectations. And actually, I thought it was it was OK. I can, I can see the criticisms, but I can also see why it's a popular game. Uh, Wormspan... Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll play it at some point, maybe. But yeah, I'm I'm not on uh, Stonemaier Games' preferred list of content creators. So the chance of me getting anything early from them, like many people do, and covering it is is not going to happen. I think if I asked Jamie for a copy of it, he'd probably send it to me. But I don't have time to cover the games that I currently have, so I'm not going to be rushing out to play it. Um, I don't even know what it does differently. Um, and yeah, because I, I, I sort of enjoyed Wingspan, but didn't go absolute gaga over it. Um, yeah, it might end up just passing me by. So interested, but won't go out of my way to play it. Next question from D Ditto. I know it takes a lot of time to do these live chats, uh, but do you think you would be able to add images of games when you're talking about them to save having the look, the look, the look later? That would actually be practically impossible. Um, these are these are live. These are these are these are live chats. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the only thing that I could do is when we're talking about a game, I could have a browser window open where I go to Board Game Geek 
Um, but nobody's nobody's asked that before. So I've been doing these live Q and A's for about five years now, I think, um, and nobody's asked that before, which is interesting. I think because unlike my monthly video logs where I am specifically talking about games and I always put an image of the game on screen when I'm talking about it, quite a lot of the questions that I've been asked today are not actually game related. Um, they're more sort of generic kind of thing, but I think it might take a bit of extra time. These all these Q and A's already go on for about an hour and a half. So I think I'm just thinking if I did, I've just mentioned Galactic Cruise, for example. So what I'd have to do is I'd have to go to my computer. I'd have to look up Galactic Cruise. Then I'd have to press a button to show you Galactic Cruise. I could do. I could do. Right. What I'm going to do is I am going to post uh, on my Board Game Geek Guild a question and say, no, I'll tell you what, I won't. Let, let's do this next month. Let's try it next month for you because you've asked and we'll we'll see if it works. I'll start doing it uh, in the next live q and I'll, I'll have it all prepared and then I will see if it's too much overhead and it's slowing things down. I'll stop doing it. But yeah, I don't know. But what, what does everybody else think? Do you do you think that it would be a good idea for me to when I'm talking about a game? Do I just quickly switch over and, and show the board game geek entry on screen? Let me know. It means I could then quickly eat a Jaffa cake while nobody's looking or, you know, something like that. Right, next question from Jackie. Um, with me recently covering the new Steffenfeld City Game Collection, Nassau uh, is how it's pronounced. Not Nassau, Nassau. What is my top three from the City Collection now? So my City Collection top three has not changed. It is Marrakesh, Cuzco, and then it's either New York City or Vienna. Now, New York City might surprise people. You might have thought that I was going to say Amsterdam or Hamburg. But New York City, for a, for a different game, it's a lighter game, it's shorter, it's streamlined. I actually really like New York City. And one reason why New York City has actually... Um, is higher on my list than you might think it might be, is the solo mode for New York City is fantastic. And in fact, the solo mode for New York City is not just a solo mode. It's an automated bot. So New York City was a game based on Rialto that traditionally doesn't play well with two players. Well, you can now play New York City two players with an automated bot as the third player or another automated bot as the fourth player. You can play with as many automated bots as you want. So you could, I mean, does the game take five? I don't even know if the game takes five. But yeah, you could play solo with multiple automated bots. Um, and it's a fantastic solo mode because it's got multiple levels of difficulty in a grid and everything. So that's why I'm rating New York City um, higher on the list because it's got such a strongly supported solo mode. Right. Um, next question from Critical. What are your top five very good games which you'd recommend which play both two and three? I Sorry. <laughs> the question is, what are your top five very good games that you'd recommend which play best at both two and three players. Sorry, but there is no way that I can answer that on the spur of the moment. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't do many top five or top ten videos because they take me... So, I, I mean, I literally would have to spend an entire day going through my entire collection and trying to work out which ones play best at both two and three players. Um, 
I can tell you certainly some that play best at four players, for example, New York City, we've just mentioned, but there is the Automa. Also, Mombasa and Sky Mines work best at four players, but the new version, Sky Mines, includes a bot which you can use to fill the missing player. Um, yeah, I mean, okay, let, I, I said I couldn't do this off the top of my head. Mage Knight plays great at two, two and three players. Too Many Bones plays best at two, three players. I'm thinking now specifically games which are great, which I think don't, I wouldn't play with four players. So yeah, so Mage Knight, um, what's the second one that I've just mentioned? Too Many Bones, something like that. Um, I wouldn't ever play three-player Cloudspire again. I think Cloudspire is an amazing game, absolutely amazing game, but I would never, ever play it three-player again. It was a it was a bad experience. Whereas Cloudspire at two is fantastic. Um, anyway, yes. Question from Bobby. Now Voidfall might knock Mage Knight off as your top game. Who, who said that? No, I, I no. I mean, I, I, Mage Knight's... Mage Knight, it's over there in the corner. You, you didn't hear anything. Where's Voidfall? What we need to do is put Voidfall and Mage Knight in the car park and see see what happens. Where is Mage Knight? It's moved because I've rearranged the uh, the studio. Bit. Oh, it's in the other room. Well, I'll bring it back in here then. But where's Voidfall? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> the room's in a state of reorganization at the moment. The question is, What's your favourite way to play Voidfall, competitive, cooperative or solo? Right, well, I've played Voidfall competitive about five or six times. I've only played the solo mode once. I haven't played it cooperative, but I know the cooperative mode is based, it's the same as the solo mode. It's extremely good, but it does require uh, an extra level of rules understanding. So at the moment, I haven't played them enough. So I'm going to say competitive at the moment, just because there's a lower rules overhead. But I do think that the, the cooperative mode, cooperative stroke solo mode of Voidfall is amazing. It, it's very, very well designed. And despite the fact that it's actually quite complex, it's a Paul friendly solo mode. In other words, it isn't an automated bot that's doing stuff. I, I don't have to follow flowcharts. Um, so yeah, yeah, don't actually know. Right, anyway, Monica. Is there a theme or mechanism in games where you draw an absolute line and will make you say, I am not playing that? Yes, there is. There, there are There are definitely, and I'm sure this question has been asked before, definitely a, a few months ago, I think it was. There are definite themes which I, I wouldn't play. If it's a, I mean, you, you don't generally have games with themes that, well, okay. Every so often, there is a game that comes out at Essen, which is in the back room, whatever, you know, and isn't really getting much attention. Um, and there was there was one game that came out, and it was probably about five or six years ago, maybe longer. I don't know if anybody remembers this, but it was a game called, I think it was called Drop the Soap or something like that. And it was a game based on male prisons. And I'm like, no, no. I, 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 am I misremembering this? Does anybody have any idea what am I on about? Or am I literally making stuff up? But I have this vague memory of this game coming out. And it was like, 
Seriously? Is anybody going to want to be interested in that? So there are definitely certain um, themes which I, you know, not, not very nice themes. There's a word that I can't think of what the word is. But anyway, yeah, there are certain themes that I would definitely go away from. In terms of mechanisms, there's a lot of mechanisms that I don't like, um, but I just accept as being part of the game like roll for resolution or things like that but there are some games that i play with roll for resolution as long as they're cooperative but hidden traitor um you know hidden roll hidden traitor games um social deduction games anything like that for me is now is now a no and i used to play these games before and i used to play werewolf a lot 20 odd years ago and there you know and every so often i will i used to maybe dabble at one of these games but certainly over the last three or four or five years i've realized that these games trigger my anxiety it's not a pleasant experience even playing fake artist goes to new york even playing spyfall they just make me really uncomfortable really really uncomfortable so there's no point in me even trying to play those games i now have hundreds of other games that i would prefer to play instead so yeah i i they are mechanisms which are a complete um, switch off for, for those games. Uh, right. Uh, what is it with Jaffa Cakes that makes you like them so much? Right. The thing with Jaffa Cakes, it just became. It just became a thing. Um, so, you know, I, I give this perception that I absolutely adore Jaffa Cakes and they are my favorite thing in the whole world. It actually just became a kind of like a running meme. But when I started going to the American conventions, I decided to do something which I thought would be a little bit funny. And I would take with me something from the UK that I, I assumed not a lot of Americans would have heard of. So every time I went to Gen Con or Origins or BGG Con and I was demoing games for CGE, I would take with me a pack of Jaffa Cakes and I would have it there on the table. And then we'd play the game. And then at the end of the game, I'd say, and the winner gets a Jaffa Cake. And everybody would be like, what the hell's a Jaffa Cake? Nobody knows, right. And then I would actually pass them around and everybody would like, oh, these are horrible. Or, oh, these are really nice. I don't, you know, I've never had these before. It, it just became a fun thing that I did. Uh, who's this quirky English guy with an odd sense of humor and giving us strange orangey chocolate, you know, cakes or biscuits, whatever they are. Um, so I did that and I, and I was doing that for a few years. So... Jaffa Cakes became synonymous with me and the channel and everything else. And then it just became, it kind of became this uh, perpetuating thing. But yeah, I didn't really have a love of Jaffa Cakes before starting to do this. It was just the one thing that I decided to do. I do like Jaffa Cakes, but you know, no more than the next person. Uh, right. Next question from Pally Blomquist. Even though it is two years from now, are you excited about the announcement of the Voidfall expansion? And are there any things that you would like to see being added to the game or changed? Well, Voidfall does not need an expansion. Let, let me just get that out there straight away. Voidfall is an incredible game and it's very, very complex. And it's got so much replayability with so many different scenarios, so many different map setups, different ways to play it. It does not need an expansion, right? But it's been a really, really popular game. I don't know what they're going to do for the expansion, but here's what I'm hoping is included in the expansion. It's just more variability. Even though we don't need any more variability, 
I hope they don't add anything else to it. We don't need any more rules. We don't, don't need any more stuff. I personally don't think it needs anything else fixing. There's nothing about it I don't think that I would change. Apart from a robot that would come along and set the game up for me when I press the button. Um, but other than that, there's no, there's nothing about the game that I would change. So yeah, I think it's just going to be more factions, which is going to mean more techs, more special map sectors, which means we're going to get more scenarios and things like that. So I, I think that's what's going to be included in there, but I don't know. Um, next question is from Max. Any question, Any plans to play Too Many Bones Unbreakable? I'd like to. It's just a matter of time. Uh, and again, like, like, I, like I say every single month, too many games, not enough time. You know, I would like to play Too Many Bones more. I don't feel like I've played the base game anywhere near enough, even though I've played it like 15 times now or maybe 12 times or something. Um, and I've got local friends, you know, JP from the Whose Turn Is It Anyway podcast. He lives 20 minutes away uh, and it, Too Many Bones is his favourite game. He'd come over at the, you know, drop of a hat. don't know where that phrase came from. Does anybody go around dropping hats? I don't know. Anyway, so if I wanted to, I could. But at the moment, my list of games that I want to cover on the channel is about 25. Um, and Too Many Bones Unbreakable is not actually on that list. I will I will add it to that list. But there is a huge number of other games on that list. Um, can you recall the very first prototype that you received, says Monica? No, but what I will tell you is that back in the day when I still had a normal job, I was making my own prototypes. So when I started doing some work with CGE, what they would do is they would actually just send me all of the files and I would literally spend, what, three days printing everything out on stickers and cut, putting it onto cardboard and cutting it out. Yeah, it would be, it would probably be three evenings in front of TV, printing all of the stuff out, making it together, getting all of the, so I, I would make my own prototypes. Um, and I, I think one of the early prototypes I made was probably Dungeon Pets. Was it Dungeon Pets or Last Will? One of those two games, I actually made my own prototype of it, which I then took to conventions to, to help demo the game for CGE. And Dungeon Pets, if you know the game, it has those little eggs where you rotate it. So I had to buy, you know, brass tacks and pins and everything else. Oh, it took ages, absolutely forever. I don't do that anymore. Publishers now send me prototypes because I simply don't have the time to, to make them myself. Uh, Ray is asking, am I doing games at mine on the Sunday after Baycon? Yes, I haven't told Vicky yet, but um, what? <laughs> that will be the plan. So Baycon is a local convention, which is near to me. It's in Exeter um, and it finishes on the Sunday at lunchtime. So what I do for my uh, any any of my patron supporters who are going to Baycon because the convention closes at noon and I basically live just off the motorway on people's way home, I'm more than happy to have people over in the afternoon for a kind of, we haven't played enough games over the last four days. Let's just play one more. Um, I did it last year, um, which was nice. I was up here playing Teotihuacan. People were downstairs playing Hegemony. Uh, so that was nice. I don't know what the plan is for this year, but yeah, I will be doing games at the HQ on the Sunday afternoon after Bacon. So if you're one of my patron supporters and you want to come here for some extra games, let me know. Uh, DVS is asking, do I plan to cover Chronicles of Drunagor? It's a dungeon crawler game. I don't have any plans to cover it. Now, is that the game from the same people 
who have done Dante Inferno. I think it is. Chronicles of Drunagor. Have I spelt it correctly? I have. Chronicles of Drunagor, Age of Darkness is from Creative Game Studio. So I am going to be covering, in fact, I made the overview video live this morning. They have a new game coming out. It's coming to uh, Kickstarter next week and it's Dante Inferno. And I am doing a live playthrough of it this Friday. So if you're interested in that, Mark Monk from Ninja Geek Games is coming over Friday. We're going to be doing a live playthrough of it this Friday. This is their first game, Chronicles of Drunagor, which is I believe a massive dungeon crawler game with loads and loads of expansions, but I don't have any plans to cover it. Um, they haven't spoken to me about covering it, or if they have, I haven't got back to them. I don't know. Anyway, what's next? What's next? Um, what is my favourite first player token? Oh, what was the one? There's one oh, right. We're going to start the question on the guild. This is a good question, and. I have answers to this, and I can't think what those answers are right now. But we're going to start a question on the guild. So again, if you're not on the guild, head on over to Board Game Geek, guild number 2258. There is going to be a question appearing on there very soon, which is going to be, what is your favourite first player marker? Um, yeah, there's definitely a few that I've had in the last couple of years where I've gone, oh, this is a great first player marker. Um yeah, I mean, I do like the one in Rebuilding Seattle. It's this massive sort of cardboard crane that you pass around. That's, that's one of them. But, uh, yeah, the other one is Magnate, a first city. They actually in, uh, gave a little toy JCB. That's got to be up there, surely. Um, yeah, so a little, little toy JCB for the first player marker. But anyway, if you've got any other thoughts on it, head on over to the guild. There will be a thread there later on. Right, next question is... Uh, from Cliffy, do you plan to or attend Gen Con any time in the next few years? Um, I, ha I, I, I haven't planned to. I would like to. Uh, I didn't go last year because I got married instead. Um, I don't have any plans to go this year, but there may be an option for me to go next year. The reality of the situation is going to Gen Con will be a massive expense um the flights are very expensive hotels are very expensive i lose a week of work so that's literally a week where there is no content for the channel i'm earning no money whatsoever so it's a, it's a week off work which is kind of what holidays are um but also the physical impact of me traveling that distance is not good for my health so i end up a complete physical wreck for about eight or nine days and, and that's not great. Now, that said, I find it very difficult to justify me doing all of that. It's great. I mean, it's really good. Gen Con was fantastic. It's a great experience. But it's not worth the financial cost and me being away from home for a week to go. Now, if a publisher is out there and that publisher wants me to demo for them and that publisher is happy to subsidise their costs, or subsidise my costs and things like that, which is the only times that I've been in the past are when it has been on that, then I would definitely be interested in going again. Not every year, but certainly once every few years because, yeah, Gen Con is amazing. And I have a number of American patron supporters who I don't get to see otherwise. So, yeah, definitely not ruling it out, but no, no fixed plans to at the moment. 
Next question from Compi. Uh, are you excited about the new Cloudspire campaign announcement? I am. Uh, any clue if you will have time to cover any of the new content? I would like to. I have already uh, contacted Chip Theory Games and said, look, I'm a massive fan of Cloudspire. Uh, I am a content creator. I'd love to cover the new stuff if you want me to. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it because Cloudspire is an amazing game. Um, and I, I don't play it anywhere near enough. Cloudspire is the kind of game that, if given time, I would be playing it once every two weeks because it's that good. Uh, to really get into it and really get to know it. But yes, there was a campaign announcement um, last week or the week before where they've announced, they've said some final stuff. Um, yeah. Three questions left and then we're done for today. So no more questions, please. From now on, we are 6.30. So yeah, no more questions for now. Um, this is next to the moon. I know it's early, but what's the best game that's listed as a 2024 release so far? I can answer that question very easily, which is really unusual because every time somebody asks me a question like this, my default answer is, I have no idea, ask me in a year's time. But what you're asking me is the best game that I have played, which is listed as a 2024 release. And again, please bear in mind, that I am due to do some sponsored coverage of this game, but it's Galactic Cruise without a shadow of a doubt. Um, yeah, the game is incredible and and just unbelievably. I was absolutely blown away by the game, and I have now played it three times, and I can't wait to play it again. So, if you if you think I'm saying that because they're paying me to make a video on it, then feel free to think that it's it's not true, and it is listed as a 2024 release. The plan is. They're going to be going to Kickstarter on the 4th of March. The game is done. It's all ready. It's all finished. And as soon as the campaign funds, they've already got the printers booked in. They're hoping to deliver it in November or December this year. Um, that's the plan. So that's why it's listed as a 2024 release. If something goes wrong and it slips, then it will end up being 2025. But it's supposed to be 2024. Uh, right, next question from Critical. Paul, if you were a raid boss in World of Warcraft, what would your mechanics be? Oh, <laughs> it's a really good question, but having not played World of Warcraft for about 10 years, um, I, 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 I don't know. So yeah, World of Warcraft is a multiplayer, massively multiplayer game where you have these raid bosses and you fight them in stages and they have special rules that apply to them. And then once you've done a certain amount of damage it goes into stage two and the rules change and certain things happen and then it goes into stage three so that that's a good question that might actually have to be one for the guild and in fact let's extend that question not just a raid boss in world of warcraft but if i was a boss in either a computer game or a board game what game mechanisms would it have that are associated with me and i'm curious to see what other people have because other people are far more creative than i am with with this sort of thing so that will be another question which is added to the guild lots of questions on the guild this month um yeah if you've got any thoughts on it let me know or just post them in the post them in the links to this video once this video goes out and is public and once people are uh, uh, watching it back and can leave comments feel free to leave me a comment on on this video Last question for today is for Matt. Which is your 
favourite stuffed animal and why is it monkey? Where is monkey? I've not seen monkey for a long time. I don't know where monkey is. I mean, we've got Christmas monkey downstairs, but has Christmas monkey gone away with the Christmas decorations? I don't actually know where monkey is. Right, well, that's my job for tonight. We were going to start watching Miss Marvel, but actually, I think I need to find monkey. Um, So I would have to say, can you pass me Colin? Is it Colin? I think it's Colin. Or Steve. Pass me Colin and Steve. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it'd be, it'd be hard for me to decide between these two. Um, and I don't know if it's going to show up on the green screen. It is. This one might not. No, this one's not. <laughs> um, so this is Colin. Colin is a, is a chameleon. Um, this one is important to me for reasons that I don't want to go into here because it will make me upset. Um, but Matt, I will send you a message later and I will write it because then, then I won't get upset while I'm writing. Well, I will, but you won't see that. Um, so this one has special meaning to me. This is, yeah, there's a story behind this one, but also Vicky got me Steve, who is a green snail. Um, yeah, it's kind of greenish, but you can see the, the, the green screen and you got me this for my birthday one year, 50th. Oh, it was my 50th. Was it? Which was during lockdown. Wow. Um, so Vicky made a huge amount of effort for my 50th birthday, bearing in mind it was lockdown, uh, and we couldn't do anything else, but she made amazing food this amazing breakfast which was what was it called it was the like the bread and butter pudding with the strawberries and the cream it was that anyway she made this amazing breakfast an amazing dinner uh, and she bought me steve the snail is it steve i think we called him steve um, so this this has special meaning uh as well but yeah they're, they're they're my favorite ones right chrissy says last saw monkey at gridcon has he been seen since was was monkey at gridcon well, I didn't bring him. <laughs> I don't remember Monkey being at Gridcon. No. I mean, if he was, that's a bit worrying. Anyway, we're gonna we're gonna have a we're gonna have a monkey hunt tonight. See where he is. We're done for today. Um, so thank you very much to everybody for watching. Thank you for all of the questions that I was asked in advance, and thank you to all of the questions that have come in uh, while we've been live. Just another mention about the contest. £50 worth of game vouchers could be yours. All you need to do, click on the link, which is in the description of this video. It's in the chat right now, and it's also in the podcast notes. And you just need to give me your name, your email address, uh, whether you're a Patreon supporter or not, and just tell me what was the last Valentine's gift that you bought or got given, whichever. doesn't actually matter. Just put something funny in there, and, and that's fine. Um, yeah, we're all done. That's everything. Right. For those interested, I will see you live on Friday night for Dante Inferno. I've got loads of other videos coming up over the next few weeks, but that's the next one that's going to be on the channel. So, yeah, we're all done. Take care, everybody. Thanks very much for watching. We'll see you all next time. Bye-bye.